Welcome, welcome, welcome to the science of the covenant. And I am Boyce Washington. And on the other side of me is the pastor Richard Washington. And I want to say Shalom to our listeners on this holy Shabbat day. Before we get started, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send us an email at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com while the podcast is going on. Or even after the podcast, if you have a question that comes up after it has aired, and we will try to get to your question and comment on the next podcast. We also want this to be an interactive platform. And with that saying, if you have any ideas that you want us to talk about and let's talk about it segment or you want the pastor to speak on, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. We would take it in consideration and we will let you know when we will be able to get to that and talk to that. If you notice, we've been studying on the science of the sacrifice. If you haven't uh, listened to our other podcasts, it's I think today we were on 14. We have 13 more. We suggest you go back and view those. And if you were here for all of them, you may have missed the uh, science of, what was that one? The science of, um, uh, as the hell, what was the one you did? Sacrifice. Uh, not the sacrifice, the one prior to that about uh, uh, destiny, destiny yeah. of disobedience. That's it. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't listened to the destiny of disobedience, I suggest you go back and watch that series. It's an excellent series on why us so-called Negroes, African-Americans, whatever you want to call us, why we've been going through what we've been going through, not only just here in America, in Brazil, the different countries where we were all scattered to the four corners. So I suggest you go back to that. Now, with that, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor. Okay, thank you very much, Boris. And uh, as far as I can see that this will draw to a conclusion, uh, the sacriology or the science of the sacrifice for this particular series. And uh, we'll probably be starting another series, and we'll have to see which series we'll take up after this one, but if we don't have a series in mind, what we'll do is we'll still be coming on and giving discourses on various aspects of both the Bible as well as the covenant. So you want to keep that in mind. So at this time, we want to have a word of prayer as we go into this study today. Let us pray. Eternal Father, as we look to you at this time, You've been so merciful and good to us that each week that as we come, we can look back and see the blessings that you have bestowed upon us. And we just give your name to praise. You only are worthy. Thank you for the inspiration that you have given us. We thank you for the common, ordinary blessings that you give us, food, water, and shelter, translation, Heavenly Father, and the necessary clothes to put on our backs. And we just thank you for those things. Never want to take for granted that the blessings that we have that they just comes. But we want to give you thanks for those blessings because we know that when Yeshua died on that cross, all of the blessings we have is because of the sacrifice that he made. Now, as we go into this subject today, 
We ask that you bless each of our minds that we may not only comprehend, but put into practice the things that you have given to us and help us to better understand this great plan of salvation and the sacrificial system that we may understand it in such a way that we know how it would end when Yeshua will come. So bless, keep God, direct me, our listeners, and most of all, give us a relationship with you. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for your sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, the first text that we want to consider, we want to turn to the 28th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, and we want to look at verses 14 and 15. And what we are looking at is the imputation cycle. Now, when we talk about the imputation cycle, there are several phases in which sin is imputed. What we want to do in this discourse is to look at and also define each phase. Now, the first phase we'll start with, it starts with Satan. So we want to look in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, and we want to consider verses 14 through 15, and here's what it says in Ezekiel, chapter 28, starting with verse 14 through 15. It says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of Elohim. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So phase one is the adversary imputation. So when we talk about imputation, we talk about how things are imputed, how they are put into us. And so the Phase one is the adversary imputation. Now, in this first phase of the imputation cycle, we are dealing with Satan, of whom is referred to as the anointed cherub that covereth. Now, a covering cherub was one who stood on the Ark of Elohim. Now, if you remember in the sanctuary service, they had an Ark in the most holy place and over there, Ark of the Most Holy Place, that Ark had a lid, and often people refer to that lid on top of that Ark as the mercy seat. And underneath the mercy seat inside the Ark, in the ancient Israel, you had Aaron's rod that budded, you had a pot of manna, and you also had the Ten Commandments. And then, as I've said, you had a lid on the top of it. And the lid they called the mercy seat, but on top of the lid, you have the Shekinah glory that represented Elohim. But on the corners of the ark, you had two cherubims, and they were called covering cherubs. Why were they calling cover cher covering cherubs? Because their wings would mount up and they would touch the wall in one area of the sanctuary. And the wings would cover their body, but also it would be able to enshrine or cover the glory of Elohim who sit between the two cherubims on high. 
So they call as a covering cherub, one who stood in the presence of Elohim. So Lucifer or Satan, he was a covering cherub in the position that he had in the heavenly sanctuary. So when we look at this, the Bible says, as we are told uh, in, 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 in verse 15, that he was perfect, that he was perfect in all his ways from the day that he was created till iniquity was found in him. In this phase, we recognize both the creator and the origin of sin. No one infected Satan with sin. He did it to himself. Once having infected himself, he went on to operate out of a sinful life. And not only did he continue to operate in a sinful way, but we find that he also spread, he spread its sin around and once having initiated, once having initiated himself with sin, he takes it to the next phase. So the Bible says sin originated with Satan. He said he was created perfect until sin was found in him. And then once it was found in him, he takes it to the next level. So the next level is phase two. Phase two is the angelic imputation. Now we want to turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to look at chapter 12. And in the 12th chapter of Revelation, we want to look at verses four and seven, okay? Now, Bible says here in Revelation 12, four, it said, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So what we see here in phase two is the angelic imputation. In other words, the Bible says that when the dragon who was up in heaven, he threw, he drew a third part of the stars. Now, in the book of Revelation, you have a lot of symbols. So when you have, it says his tail. In other words, the tail means that which is behind you. And he said he, he with his tail, he drew a third part of the stars of heaven. Now stars in many instances in the book of Revelation represent angels. So he threw a, he, he, he drew a third part of the angels came behind him. And he says, and did cast them to the earth. And he said the devil, the dragon, when he got to the earth, he was trying to get the woman who had the child. And we know according to Revelations, uh, chapter uh, in the same chapter, it speaks about the dragon being the devil. So we know it was the devil that was cast out and the stars that came behind him were angels. So we call this phase the angelic imputation. So it was in this 
second phase of the imputation, we are dealing with the angels of whom were affected by the sins of Satan. Now, according to the passage, all of these angels were the ones that had sided with Satan. And Satan had these angels to follow him, and they came down to the earth. So when we look at phase two, which is the angelic imputation, Satan now had those who had followed him in sin, who would go against the government of Elohim in heaven. And when they were cast to earth, now they could assist him in doing evil upon this planet. So in this phase, these ang angels, which left their first estate, according to Jude chapter one and verse six, they left their first estate and assisted Satan in spreading evil intentions. In this second phase, we see angels sinning and siding with Satan to strengthen his hand in evil and carry out his devilish schemes with the beast family, which brings us to our next phase. So first, he got the angels to come with him. Now, according to the Bible, according to Genesis, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, and we want to look at verse number 1, Genesis 3, 1. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 1, it reads, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yah Elohim had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, as Elohim said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So now when we look at this phase here, this phase deals with phase three is the animal imputation. Okay. So we see that Satan, who was a brilliant angel, he went down to the Garden of Eden and he got one of the most brilliant animals that Elohim had created, which was a serpent. Because the Bible says the serpent was more subtle, in other words, more crafty than any beast of the field. So that us, let us know that the serpent was on the top of the list. Okay, and then when we see how Satan came in to deceive the animals, we read in uh, Genesis chapter, uh, same chapter, Chapter uh, 3, in verse 14, it says, the Bible says in verse 14, And Yah Elohim said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, what we see in here is that this wise serpent thought it necessary to represent all of the animals and he deceived Eve. He allowed the dragon, he allowed the devil to work with him to deceive Eve. Okay. So Satan not only passes sin on to his counterparts, 
but he also passed it on to the animal kingdom. In the animal kingdom, Satan acquires the assistance of the serpent of whom he uses to deceive the whole world who at this time was only Adam and Eve. However, by the serpent allowing himself to be used by the adversary, it not only affected him, but the entire animal kingdom. For even the animals who did not actually conspire with Satan to do what the serpent did would share in the curse placed upon the serpent. Moreover, because of the serpent's participation in beguiling Eve into sinning, the animal kingdom would also be involved in both the sentence and the penalty of death. Since sin came through the animal kingdom, it would be the animal kingdom that would be used as a demonstration of what the Messiah would encounter as our savior from sin. As a result of sin coming into this world by a serpent, much of the animal kingdom would be killed in the sacrificial system to demonstrate to us what the results of sin were. Once having imputed sin to the serpent, in turn, the serpent introduced sin to the first human woman who is the next phase. So we see this phase that after he introduced it to the animals, we go to the fourth phase. Let's see what the fourth phase is about. Okay, we want to turn back again to Genesis chapter 3, and we want to look again at verse, verse 6. Or it might be the first time, but we want to use Genesis 3, 6. I think we had Genesis 1 and 14, but this time we want to use Genesis 3, 6. Now in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, with her and he did eat. So phase four is the what we call the anthropological imputation. In other words, anthropological deal with man. It deals with mankind, which is both man and woman. And so in Genesis 3, 6, we find that it was a woman that had partaken of the fruit. Now that the adversary the angels and the animals are involved in the sinful infection which they receive from Satan, it is now passed on to Eve, who would be the mother of all mankind. So when we look at how sin has come from the adversary to the angelic host to the animals, now it's coming to the anthropological race of humans. And when she partaken of the fruit, she then became affected with sin. So as we see it cycling all the way down from heaven to man, 
and from Satan to man. So it is now passed on to Eve who would be the mother of all mankind. And from the serpent to Eve, we find that the genes or the eggs of Eve are imputed with sin. And this would bring us to our next phase. So what is the next phase? Now, we see the anthropological phase. And after that phase of Eve taking the fruit, we look, look again at Genesis 3, 6. Let's look again at that. The Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat. Okay, so that imputed sin to her. But then we are told and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So phase five is the Adamic imputation. It came from man or the woman and the woman passed it on to Adam and Adam means a man. So she passed it on to the man. So phase five is the Adamic imputation. And this fifth phase is where Adam is first, is the first man would be infected by sin. He eats at the hand of Eve who has violated the covenant given to them by their creator. By Adam eating of that which Yah told him not to eat, he became infected to the extent that both he and his seed would become infected with sin, and this would have far-reaching consequences. Adam's sinful sperm would unite with Eve's sinful egg, and sinful children would be the results. Now that the once holy couple now that the once holy couple lost their innocence and forfeited their right to live, they were in need of a savior, which would bring us to the next phase. So once Adam and Eve sinned, Elohim had already made a plan of salvation for them, but there was no plan of salvation made for the angels and there was no plan of salvation made for the animals. The plan of salvation was simply made for mankind. So after Adam and Eve sinned, then they did have something to look forward to. What did they have to look forward to? Let's look at Genesis chapter five, chapter three, that is. Genesis chapter three, and we want to look at verse 15. Genesis 3.15 says, and I will put enmity thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed and it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel this was looking down to the cross and it was pointing out that the woman's seed and the seed of the serpent would clash because at the cross the woman's seed would bruise the head of the serpent seed and the serpent seed would bruise the heel of the woman's seed. And this is just a way of saying 
that when one's head is bruised, that is a worse wound than when a person's heels are bruised. So he is saying that the greater bruise will come on the head of the serpent and the lesser bruise will come on the head, on the heels of the seed of the woman. So at the cross was the redemptive act that would be able to give salvation to Adam and his wife and to his offspring and everyone who considers themselves sinful, they could be able to have a savior to take away their sins. And this is called, uh, this phase, this is phase six, is the advocate imputation, the advocate. Uh, advocate is a person that stands between uh, you and someone else. And in doing so, that advocate is the one that can give you the redemption that you need. Oftentimes when you go into the court of law, you need an advocate. An uh, advocate is for the person who has committed the crime. And as the advocate stands between the judge and the jury, as he stands between the judge and those who are judging him, then the advocate is able to render the necessary things in order to get the person who is being judged off of that particular sentence. So what we see in phase six is the advocate imputation. In this sixth phase, the human family is in need of forgiveness and pardon for making a breach in Yah's covenant by eating that which was forbidden. So once they had eaten it and they had committed sin, now the plan of salvation can go into effect. A savior would be provided according to Genesis 3.15 in whom they and the human family would be able to impute their sins to. And by imputing their sins to our advocate, he in turn would impute his righteousness to us. This fulfillment would be in Yeshua, our Messiah, who would be our ransom for sin. He would take upon himself our life of sin. He would take away our sins and clean us up and clear us of any transgressions we have committed and any iniquities we have performed. So when we come to Yeshua in this sixth phase, we impute unto him our sinfulness and he imputes to us his righteousness and this takes us to our next phase the next phase is that we turn to leviticus chapter 16 and in leviticus chapter 16 we want to look at verses 21 through 22. So we have gone through a number of phases, and we see that all of these phases, one phase spread of sin to another phase, and till those phases reach down to Yeshua, our Messiah. 
And when it got to Yeshua, our Messiah, we recognize that all of our sins and the record of our sins has been put upon him. And now that he has our sins, what does he do with them? Okay, let us find out in this, in the seventh phase. Okay, now we look at Leviticus chapter 16, and we want to consider verses 21 through 22. Now here it reads in verse 21 of the 16th chapter of Leviticus, it says, And Aaron shall lay both hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all of the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all the transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And verse 22 says, And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Okay, now with that in mind, let's turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, we want to read the first three verses of the 20th chapter. Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And the Bible says in the first verse of the 20th chapter of Revelation, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, with a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, and he shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose a little season. So when we saw in Leviticus that all of this sin and transgressions by the high priest Aaron was put on the goat and sent into the wilderness. What Yeshua is going to do in the last days and when he, just before the millennium, what he's going to do is take all of the sins and put on Satan and send him into the earth in the bottomless pit, which is the wilderness that he'll be in. So when we look at the type that he'll go into the wilderness by Aaron, the high priest. And then we look at the antitype, which is Yeshua taking the record of our sin and he putting them all on Satan. And he says, Satan is going to roam around on this earth, which is going to be a bottomless pit for a thousand years in the wilderness. And after that, Elohim is going to destroy him. But what we're looking at in the seventh phrase is phase seven is the antagonist imputation. In the seventh and the final phase, Yeshua, our advocates, takes all the confessed sins of, of the human family, which is their life's record of sin, and attributes this record back to Satan, the originator of them. The adversary will receive the punishment for the record of our sins, which carry with them the sentence and the penalty of death. Now, let us turn to the book of Romans. We turn to the book of Romans, and we want to look at chapter 6 and verse 23. So, in other words, Yeshua, who accepted all of the confessed sins of his chosen people, 
who have confessed them to him, he took those sins, he died for those sins, and now what would he do with those sins now that he died for them? The Bible says he's going to take all of those sins and put them back on the one that it started, which, which is Satan. Ezekiel says that he was perfect from the day that he was created until iniquity was found in him. And he started this and he passed it on to the angels and the angels passed it on to the animals and the animals passed it on to man, the anthropos. And then the woman passed it on to Adam and the Adam passed it on to uh, the human race and the human race passed our sins on to Yeshua. And Yeshua is passing all of those sins from the time that Adam sinned all the way up until the last sinner. And all of those who have confessed their sins on Satan, they will be placed back upon him. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So since Satan has all his sin, he must die. In the ultimate annihilation of sin, it would be recycled back to him who originated and started it. Our loving Father, as we can see the recycling of how sin came from the adversary and eventually went all through creation and then it returns back upon him. And we pray that we may accept your plan of salvation so that we don't have to die for our sins because Yeshua has. And then he'll take those sins and put them upon Satan the one who started it in the first place, that he may die for the things, Lord, that he has put within this universe. And then when you wipe this universe clear and clean of sin, then when we come back to a new heaven and a new earth, we can only know righteousness and sanctification in only those things which are lovely. So help us to strive for that kingdom. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, um, Satan was a covering cherub? Yeah, he was. A, that was one of the positions he had in, in heaven. So, he, you said uh, the covering cherubs uh, shield pretty much Yah's glory? Yeah, they, they stood within his glory. The reason why they call it the anointed cherub, because... Uh, we, we may anoint with oil, but the true anointing is the glory of the light of Elohim that shines down upon a person. That's, that's what the true anointing is. Mm -hmm. But oil that makes the fire uh, is represented. It represents the anointed. So they call him the anointed church because he stood in the presence of Elohim himself. Mm -hmm. And when he stood in the presence of Elohim, he had a lot of wisdom. Matter of fact, he has so much wisdom that he, you know, he just glowed with wisdom. Mm. And as he glowed with wisdom, he was called Lucifer. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer means a light bearer. And he was the one that goes, he went around the universe that Elohim that made, and he would go against, go around to different uh, planets or earth that Elohim had created. And he would spread the, 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 uh, the wisdom that Elohim had given him. Mm-hmm. But then when he became corrupted, then he corrupted that wisdom. But he was the anointed one. He was the cherub that covered it. Wow. And, and you were saying that the tail 
is basically just a simile that it it didn't mean he actually had a tail, that he drew what was behind him a third of the stars, which were a third of the angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, uh, the dragon was a, was a symbol of the devil, and his tail uh-huh. that he drew was a symbol of the back part of what was following him to do the same thing he was doing is trying to bring down a universe of Elohim because he didn't want his government in heaven and the same government in heaven was going to be the same government on earth. Uh-huh. So he tried to get down to the earth to destroy the government down here like he did in heaven. Uh-huh. And he, he threw a third part of the angels. Uh-huh. So that means if you can know how many angels Elohim have, Satan got a third of them. Wow. Wow. And that's something, you know, he, they say he was made perfect and everything that y'all was made perfect mm-hmm. until they was imperfect and whatnot. Yeah, he, he, he corrupted himself. You know, I just wonder why didn't he go after Adam to deceive him first? It's like he went to the serpent, then the woman. And he didn't even do the one. He after he had the woman, he sent the woman to get, get the man. Well, well, the thing he he probably thought it through. Uh, but the thing about it, he may have gotten at him. But the the fact is that that wasn't but one place he could he could go to to meet him. He couldn't follow him around the garden. Mm-hmm. He could only go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Oh, and that's where the serpent was. Uh huh. And serpent allowed him to use him, and then when Eve uh, got on the serpent's ground, then she began to converse with him, and as a result, they got into discussion. And when they got into discussion, then I guess Satan had influenced her that if you ate of the tree, you would be getting something that Elohim didn't give you. Mm-hmm. And so she became curious, and she ate. And as a result of her eating. Then she took it to Adam, and Adam knew, and Adam didn't have to eat, but he did. But the fact is, if Adam had got around that tree and talked to the serpent, there's a possibility that Adam would have told that serpent, you know, that uh, I've talked to my creator and maker, and he has already told me I'm not to eat of this tree. Mm. But for some reason, Eve didn't, well, Eve, in a way, she did tell him that mm-hmm. Elohim said of every tree of the garden we can eat but but of this tree and then when she told him about that tree then he jumped on it and says uh, he pointed out that the, he pointed out to her that this tree was more important than all of the rest of the trees because this tree is a tree that's really going to open your mind and so when she uh, looked at that the Bible says in verse 7 of Genesis 3, and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, but if you back up, it says that Eve saw the tree was good for food. She saw it was good for food. Now, when it says they opened their eyes and they knew they were naked, all right, well, one would ask the question, if they open their eyes and saw they're naked, you mean tell me they didn't know what they naked? They was already naked. Yeah. All right. So we have to draw the conclusion is that they were closed with the glorious light that surrounded them. 
So when they ate up the fruit, they lost that light. The Ichabod experience had come to them that they had lost their glory. So when they looked at themselves, they no longer saw that light. And they recognized they were naked. They were naked not because they were naked. They were naked because they had lost that light. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, when you look at verse 5, it says, For Elohim, this is Satan talking, the serpent is talking. He said, For Elohim does know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, as if that was something to know. Okay, but he said, Your eyes are going to be open. Well, weren't your eyes open before? Somebody going to tell you your eyes going to be open? How your eyes going to be open? They already open. Yeah. But he's trying to say they have been close to good and evil. And if you eat this, eat this fruit, you, you, they're going to be open and you're going you're gonna to be like the one that created you now. And I think that's what she was coveting after. And it says in verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. See, she, she pointed out all the trees they can eat. Mm-hmm. She said, But of the tree of the fruit, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Elohim has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Okay, so he's singling out one tree, mm-hmm. and she knows that she can eat of all trees, but he tried to make that one tree seem like it was so important. And then she fell for it. And so this is why the plan of redemption had to go into effect. Right. Now, did did the servant, the serpent, I'm sorry, the serpent had an option rather to listen to Satan or not? Yeah. I, 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 well, you know, I, I really did. I, I, I believe he had a choice. Mm-hmm. He had a choice. I'll tell you why. Here's why I believe he had a choice. Because uh, if he didn't have a choice, why would in verse 14 of the third chapter, he says, and Yah Elohim said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this. Mm-hmm. And thou shalt be cursed above all of the cattle. Now, he's going to be cursed above all of the cattle and all of the beasts. Now, something strange about that. Here, here's what I'm saying. It said Elohim cursed him. So would he really curse somebody that did not really have a choice? True. I, I don't think that. And, and, and notice this also. It said, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field and upon thy belly shall thou go and thus shall thou eat all the days of life. Now, this suggests to me, this this suggests he says that because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle mm-hmm. and all beasts. Now, is it the fact that when, when serpent did what he did, all of the beasts of the field were cursed because it said he was cursed above mm-hmm. all of the other animals. Now, mm. is that above? Is that saying that you represent serpent, the serpent represented the, the, the animal kingdom? So now that he fell the test like Adam and Eve, then he also would fall in sin. But the sin that he fell into mm-hmm. would also affect the entire animal kingdom that one day they would all die because of the fact of what the serpent did. I don't know if they could have stopped him or talked to him, but we know that he was in that tree 
And if it says that he was cursed above every cattle and every beast mm-hmm. was the curse above, he would get the top curse and they would get the uh, lesser curse or were they cursed at all and only the serpent was cursed. But we cannot believe that because what happened? We realized yeah. that that's that uh Satan or the serpent perhaps maybe he was the only one cursed. And then once Adam and Eve was put out of the garden because he was cursed, then they had to start life outside of the garden, and the animals that was outside of the garden, they would experience the curse of death, whereas the ones in the Garden of Eden. Uh-huh. That when Elohim took the Garden of Eden back to heaven, maybe he'll preserve all of those species of uh, animals up there. But he did have a choice, and he chose to go along with Satan. So since he chose to go with Satan, then he would also have to get the sentence and the penalty of Satan, which is death. Yeah, but it, it does sound like the point you made out that he, what he did affected the rest of the animal kingdom. Um, as far as curses falling on them, mm-hmm. and all, because you know, uh, I would assume that had not sin, sin entered the world, that animals would not die, also, right, and everything. Mm-hmm. And then we know that another effect that was taken from them was the ability to speak, you know, because I think up until then the animals could speak to us mm-hmm. and we see evidences kind of of it even today is like they try to talk to formulate words, but they can't mm-hmm. and all, you know, cause we see dogs bark, cats meow about certain things and it's like they're communicating, but they don't have the ability to formulate words like they once had. And we know a couple of instances in the Bible where the animals spoke Mm-hmm. And all, uh, wow! And so you said uh, it's one more on this series next week, or this is it? No, I, I think we'll we'll complete. I believe we'll complete it with this one. Okay. And uh, we'll see where we're going next week. Okay. Like I said, if we don't have a series, we still can speak on some other issues. Okay. All right. With that, we will head into our next segment. Up next is let's talk about that. Well, today in Let's Talk About It, I want to talk about uh, Genesis, the 26th chapter, verse 5. So if you have your Bibles, I want to talk about Genesis 26, 5, as it talks about the commandments, the statutes, and the laws. And it reads... Because that Abraham obeyed my voice and did guard my watch, my commandments, my statutes, and my Torah, and my law. So I was kind of taken back uh, after I read that because I remember in grade school as well as uh, even when I went to the Christian academies, when we talked about the Ten Commandments, we didn't talk about them until 
they, Yah gave them to Israel in the mountain. And when Moses came down, threw the tablets down and broke them, you know, the whole story. But reading this, the commandments were had to been around way before Israel came onto the scene because we know Abraham is the father of Isaac, the grandfather of Jacob and Esau. And we know Jacob ended up being called Israel and his children was the offshoots of that. So, um, pastor with that, we see that Abraham was keeping the commandments, his laws and his statutes. Mm-hmm. So was there anybody before Abraham that was keeping the commandments and did Yah give them, uh, the commandments? Yeah. Well, e- everything that Moses wrote mm-hmm. had already been, uh, given, uh, to Elohim's people. Mm. So, so you asked the question then, all right, if he gave it to us people, when did he give them to them? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, in actuality, uh, when we look at Genesis, and we're going to look at a few chapters there, when you look at Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says, and, <clears throat> and Yah, Elohim, formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay. Now, if he became a living soul at the time in which uh, Elohim breathed into him, then that would suggest very strongly that Adam had the knowledge of the laws, the statutes, and the commandments in the covenant from the beginning. Okay. Okay. How, how do we justify that? Okay. Let us look at Genesis 2, 19 in the same second chapter. And the Bible said, and out of the ground, Yah, Elohim, formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Now, can you tell me he was created by Elohim and Elohim? put him in the garden and says, name my creation. So where did he get the knowledge to name that creation? Elohim had already given it to him. Mm. Adam's mind was akin to his mind. And Elohim said, I want to see if Adam's mind is working like my mind. Mm -hmm. So he put him in the garden. So when he put him in the garden and he started naming all that stuff, Elohim said, wait a minute. He said, the things that Adam is naming this animal, all these animals and stuff, he said, that's the same name I would have named it. So in other words, what we're saying is when Elohim was testing the computer of Adam's mind, he knew that it was working correctly all because of the fact that he was coming out to the same names that Elohim uh, would name them. And this is why Elohim said, whatever Adam called these creatures, that would be the name thereof because he's calling the same thing that I, w- I would call it. Okay, now. With that thought in mind, mm-hmm. let us look at Leviticus chapter 11. Okay. The 11th chapter of, of Leviticus. Okay. In the 11th chapter of Leviticus, what do we read? Here in the 11th chapter, we read 
about his dietary law of clean and unclean uh, things to eat as far as, you know, animals. Okay. But we're not going to read the whole chapter, but I want, I, I want to point this out. Okay, so when, when we read in Leviticus chapter 11, and we consider, uh, let's start with uh, uh, verse 4, verse 4. He's talking about the clean animals that we can eat. He said, nevertheless, these shall ye eat, shall you not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide not the huff, as the camel, because he cheweth the cud, but divided not the hoof. And the Bible said he is what? He is unclean unto you. Okay. So uh, here Moses is talking about the clean and the unclean uh, animals that they could or could not eat, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at that, then uh, you look at, you look at uh, verse number two of the same 11th chapter. It said, whatsoever potted the hoof and is cloven-footed and cheweth the cud among the beast, you shall, shall that shall ye eat, mm -hmm. okay? Why would you eat it? Because he said, if it cheweth the cud and has cloven foot, he said, that's clean unto you. You could eat the clean. Okay, now, this is what Elohim had given to Moses. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 7, before Moses was ever on the scene. Okay, now, the Bible says in uh, Genesis chapter 7, and it talks about in verse 2, what it says. It said, of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens and make the male and his female and of the beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So now, wait a minute. Moses is talking about clean and unclean. But before he even got to Moses, nor he knows the difference between clean and un unclean. Mm. Now, these are statues. Yeah. Now, where did, where, did, where did Moses get it from? I mean, where did Noah get it from? Well, he probably got it from his great-great-grandfather, uh, which was Adam. Wow. Adam. Adam wanted to name the animals. You tell me Adam didn't know a difference between the clean and unclean? Uh -huh. Not with the mind of Elohim in him. He, had a, he was fresh from his mind. So Adam passed it on down to his offspring, and it kept on going down until he got down to Noah, and when he destroyed the world, then somehow this knowledge was being lost, but his true people still understood the clean and the unclean. Mm -hmm. So by the time he got down to Moses, I mean, got down to Abraham, Abraham knew the statutes and the laws because they were constantly passed down. But when they went into captivity and they started sinning and they were down in Egypt and they forgot about this law, Elohim, when he cut him out of Egypt, he said, I got to reiterate these laws back to him, and this time I'm going to put them on a scroll. I wrote them on Adam's heart and mine, but now I'm going to write them down so they can look at it and read it and know what, what to do. Yes, Abraham knew the commandments, the statutes, and the laws because they were passed down to him by his forefathers. Yes, they were already in existence. Coming to Mount Sinai was not the first time that he gave that. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I think it even talks about in the book of Enoch where 
I believe Noah went to his grandfather to learn about Yah's ways mm-hmm. and all. So, you know, it's interesting. Yah put it into the mind of Adam, and Adam continued to pass it down to the seeds, his seeds, into several generations and all. Um Wow, that that's that's just something like a you know, and, and it's crazy when we look at a lot of the religions. I wonder do some of these guys know that, but they pro trying to program you to think one way in regards to well, because some when when you think about the Ten Commandments, you know, not being coming onto the scene until Israel when they came out of Egypt. In a way, you kind of think it was lawless at that time, that, you know, it was no Mm -hmm. structure whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But we knew there was structure because y'all wouldn't have sent the flood and the people wouldn't have known they were sinning wasn't for there was some type of structure in place. Definitely. And all. But, you know, it's just interesting as the more we read, the more we study, even reading it the first and second time, certain things may not stand out to you until at a later point. You know, that's why we must continually to read and study and search the scriptures because it seems like it's always something new that you say, Whoa, I missed that. I don't read this before, but I missed it until mm-hmm. now. Definitely. Yeah. Wow. That is something. Well, with that pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to, uh, close out this podcast for this week. Okay. Loving Father, we thank you for another setting. Thank you that you have been with us, and we trust that we have learned, but most of all, help us to do. Now, grant, Lord, that as we go through the rest of the Sabbath, that you will give us the Sabbath today's blessing, refresh, renew, revitalize, and recreate us in such a way that we will be able to get all of the blessings that you have on your holy, blessed Shabbat, that it may refresh us in such a way that we may be renewed to be able to do a greater work for thee. Continue to bless the sick and the shedding and those who are homeless and those who are lacking food and the common nourishments of life. The ways and means may be provided for them to get shelter and food. Bless those who have experienced the death of loved ones and those who are sick on the hospital bed, those who are shed in, that your spirit may hover over them and be the comfort to all, Lord, to give them life and those who have passed this life, may they soul rest in peace. And now, Father, as we continue to go through this life, help us to do the things that you will have us to do. And one day, all of the sickness, sorrow, and death, and all of the disappointments that we've had in this world, will one day be wiped away with sin. And as a result, we'll have a new heaven and a new earth and a new universe. And that universe will be captivated with love all over. And as the pulse of the universe continues to beat, that Elohim is love, Elohim is love, Elohim is love, and that will go out throughout the entire universe. And every heartbeat that we have will be in tune with the universe, that Elohim is love, is our prayer in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to reiterate if you have any ideas for the pastor maybe do you want him to speak on or you would like us to conversate talk about uh, on a let's talk about a segment 
Or if you have just any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, that's scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Make sure you tell everyone about us. Please hit the like button uh, to like this podcast so it'll alert others as we try to build up, uh, you know, spread the message. That is our podcast for this week. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and truth unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalms 25.10. Until next week, Shalom.